Hi, I'm iChurch. Hi, I'm Me Church. You know, the older I get, the more I realize it's important to stay flexible. That's why I always take time to stretch. Yes, I'm quite flexible myself. Oh yeah? I am, watch this. What do you think about that? That's impressive. That's not all I can do, watch this. Are you okay there? You need some help? Oh, nope, nope, doing fine. Thanks. Uh, I guess you're not as flexible as you thought you were. No, I'm, I'm good. I like to stay like this for a few minutes just to make sure I'm good and flexible. Oh, I see. Well, I gotta go. Are you coming with me? Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll be there in just a second. Okay. You go on. I'm right, I'm right behind you. I'm right behind you. I, could somebody get the door? I'm talking this morning about aging without getting old. And the sermon today is for me. You know, every once in a while, in fact, every once in a while, nothing. Almost every day, somebody says, hey, that message was for me Sunday. Well, this morning's message is for me. And if you're in my boat, then I guess it's for us. But I turn 50 this week. I was trying to tell somebody which day it was, but I couldn't remember. <laughs> it's true. At my age, I can't see, can't hear, and don't remember. That's sort of the thing that's going on with me. But 50, and, and I, I'm just, I've seen it coming you know, like a specter on the horizon, but now this week it actually comes, and I turned 50. What's tough for me was I was in my 20s when I came to Messiah and moved to Kansas, and now to see that 50 coming up, it's really big. And the thing that I look at, though, and this is what's really peculiar about turning 50, I am busier today, have more on my shoulders, more challenges than I've ever had in my life. I look back at the margin I had in my life when I was 20 and 30 and even 40, and I'm amazed that I had so much margin in my life. At this point, I have very little because I, I carry such a huge load, and the people around me carry such huge loads that it, it's, it, every day is a challenge. And I think to myself how cool this is to be my age and to be having more challenges than I've ever had in my life. What I discover is I don't feel any older. Even though I'm turning 50, and I've been blessed, God's given me, at least as far as I know, very good health, and I've had very few problems physically, I really don't feel any different than I felt when I was 20. And the excitement of the life that God has put before me makes me feel young, and so when I turn 50 this week, I'm going to enjoy that part of it, all right? Aging without getting old. Our series is called Intentional Life, and it's about living life in the zone of God's greatest blessing. We're studying the book of Joshua, how that the Israelites, in this one golden moment, enjoyed God's best. They enjoyed a, a privileged life, a golden life in the promised land. And the character that we're going to be focusing on today is a guy by the name of Caleb. And what's so exciting about him is he's not just turning 50, he's turning 85. But he's still young at heart. Have you ever noticed that there are some people who are old at 18 and there are some people who are young at 90? Sometimes chronological age doesn't have as much to do with it as what's going on on the inside. I told the early service, I got a real lesson on this about 12 or 13 years ago. I was speaking in New Jersey, close to, the, close to Tom's River. And it was in the summer, and there were a lot of retirees who were clustered in the area. And, and uh, there, there, there's a little ice cream kind of sandwich place there, uh, like, like there is in the east, called Friendly's. I don't know if you've ever been to a Friendly's or not, but it's kind of a neat place to go get ice cream and a sandwich. And so Marilyn and I were over there in the parking lot, and we were driving in, and, and we noticed that there was a guy, and it looked like he was probably in his early to mid-70s. He was driving a pickup truck, and he just was sauntering into the parking lot, and he just 
stopped right in the middle. He blocked the flow of traffic on both sides. He was hoping for a parking place. I think he thought somebody was going to back out, but there was nobody in the car. And so he just sat there and waited. Behind him was a woman who had to be 10 years older than him. She had to be in her mid-80s. But have you ever seen somebody that, I mean, it's like they're just ageless. And this woman was dressed to the nines. She had on she had an excellent outfit. She had her jewelry on. She was driving a new Cadillac, and she was right behind this guy. Ted years her junior, but there she was. She was waiting. And after a while, she got tired of waiting, and I watched as she gunned that Cadillac, swerved around him, zipped into a parking place, hopped out of her car, looked at me right in the eye, and said, these old people drive me crazy. <laughs> and for some reason, she's on my mind this morning. I never knew her name. I just... I was so impressed with that, in her, clearly in her mid-80s, jumping around, dressed excitedly, and saying about a younger person, these old people drive me crazy. It is possible to age without getting old, and so I need, that. I need this this morning, you know, when I turn 50 this week. And for those of you, and, and I know that like in the early service, we have a lot, of our younger, a lot of our younger congregation in the early service, and a lot of them are probably 18, 19, 20 years old, and they're looking at me like, man, 50, that's creeping me out. That's really ancient. Uh, but for some of you who are like, in, you know, and you're kind of feeling the years come along and you're saying, yeah, I wish I, you know, with these challenges, I wish I was 30 again or I wish I was 25 again. For all of us who kind of feel that way, this message is for us and it's for those of you who are 18, 19, and 20 and you don't know yet how fast time goes, all right? So here we go. We're going to be looking at a guy named Caleb. What's interesting about Caleb is that uh, he's, he's just a special guy he, he, and, and we're going to see that as this, as this develops. Most of our time has been spent with the Israelites going into the promised land. But as I've said to you time and time again in Intentional Life, if you want to understand the Israelites in the zone, you have to go back and look at them 40 years before. Because what happened was, at a moment of destiny, they choked. God had said to them, I'm going to give you the promised land. You know, he sent the ten plagues on Egypt. He opened up the Red Sea, got them right there on the border of Canaan within a few months. And the Israelites said, well, we want to send some spies over there and see if the land is okay. And they sent 12 guys over there. Ten of them came back and said, we've looked at the land. It's beautiful. It's awesome. But there are giants there, and we're going to get crushed, and we don't want to go. And at that moment, the people choked. And they had to wander in the wilderness for almost 40 years because they didn't want God's will. Now, that's, that moment that I just described, when the Israelites sent spies over into the land, that's really the first time that we hear about Caleb. We never hear about him before that. He comes to center stage. And he is one of the 12 spies, actually one of the two spies that came back and brought a positive report and said, we can take the land. That's where we find him in Numbers chapter 13, verse 30. But Caleb, the Bible says, tried to encourage, remember, remember key number two, live in a climate of radical encouragement? Caleb tried to encourage the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. Caleb is saying, let's go. We can do this. God has given us the land. Let's go over there. We're going to have life in the zone. Caleb said, I've been there. I've seen it. It's great. Yes, there are giants there, but God will help us. And, you know, he got outvoted that day. Only two spies, Joshua and Caleb, came back and said, let's do it. Ten spies said, we don't want to do this. We'll get killed. They got the people all upset. The people said, we don't want to go over there. Our children will die, and they'll get killed. Ladies and gentlemen, there's one thing that you and I need to discover, especially in the culture that we live in today. We live in a democratic environment, and that's good. We have a democratic form of government, and majority rules. But although the majority rules, the majority is not always right. And what you and I must understand is that God doesn't always re react to what the majority does. 
If God's got a plan and God's got a purpose, if the majority don't sync up with God, God will just start over again. And that's what happened. I mean, you know, I, I want you to know that when, when, the, when the ten spies came back and said, we can't take the lamb, we'll get killed over there, and the people said, oh, no, we're going to die, it wasn't like God was up there in, in heaven wringing his hands saying, oh, no, the people are not going to go. I guess I'm going to have to get them a new leader. God decided he was going to get a new people. And he told Moses, I'm just going to kill all these people right now. I'm going to kill them on the spot. I've, done, I've, I've sent the ten plagues. I've opened up the Red Sea for them. They're not going to sync up with me. God said to Moses, just get out of the way. Let me kill them all, and I'll start over with you. And somebody will say, whoa, I didn't know God could be like that. Folks, God is a God of love, but he's not Uncle Sugar. He's not somebody to play fast and loose with. I mean, God is a serious person. He's the most serious person in the universe. And Moses is saying, oh, God, please don't do that. Because if you kill all these people, the enemy will hear about it, and they'll say, well, where, where is their God? And he was pleading with God. And I don't know exactly what was going on there, if God really was going to kill the people, but, you know, Moses talked him out of it. Or if God never was going to do that, he just wanted to elicit that response from Moses. I'm not sure. I just know this. I know God said, all right, I won't kill him right now, but everybody over the age of 20 is going to die over the next 40 years, and I'm going to take you into the promised land with that younger generation, and we're going to go, and you're going to experience life in the zone. But now, that's kind of interesting because there were two guys who were over 20. And they were Joshua and Caleb. And God made an exception. God made an exclusion for them. He said, I'm going to let them live. But now, it's in Numbers 14, verse 23. I want you to see exactly how God talks about Caleb here. Because remember, Caleb was the one who was very vocal. Joshua eventually became the leader, but Caleb was the one who was very vocal. He was the one who said to the people, let's go. We can do this. Now, let's read Numbers 14, verse 23. God said, none of those who have treated me with contempt will enter in. When God asks you to step up to the mic and you say yes, God looks at that like you're treating him with honor. If I wimp out when God asks me to step up to the mic the way God looks at it, with his strength and with his power underwriting the endeavor that he's assigned me to, how God looks at that is that I'm treating him with contempt. None of those who have treated me with contempt will enter the promised land. But my servant Caleb, look at this, is different from the others. He has remained loyal to me, and I will bring him into the land he explored. Now, just file that away, because I want to talk to you about that in a few moments. I am so impressed that it was God who said about Caleb, he's different. You know, he's different. There's something about him that's different. Wouldn't you like God to say that about you? Because the Bible says there's a broad road that leads to destruction. There's a narrow road that leads to everlasting life. That means the majority is almost always, or in every given situation, on the wrong road. But God said about Caleb, he's different. We'll talk about that in a minute. God said, I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will receive their full share of that land. That's about 40 years before the Israelites go into Canaan. Now, since we last talked, the Israelites, you know, they've crossed the Jordan. They've taken Jericho. They've regrouped after a setback. They are now taking Canaan. They're going throughout the land, occupying and acquiring the land that God gave them. And some, a few, few years have passed. Two, three, four, five years have passed. Caleb is involved in the battles of acquiring the land. But there comes a day when Caleb sends a delegation to his old buddy Joshua. And that's where we're going to pick it up in Joshua 14, middle of verse 6. Caleb said to Joshua, remember what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, about you and me when we were in Kadesh Barnea. He's going back 40 years and he's saying to Joshua, you remember what God said to Moses about you and me? Caleb says, I remember. <laughs> I was 40 when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave from my heart a good report. 
But my brothers who went with me frightened the people and discouraged them from entering the promised land. For my part, I followed the Lord my God completely. So that day Moses promised me, the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your special possession and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly follow the Lord my God. Now here's where it really gets exciting. All of you like me that are getting a few years on you, enjoy this. This is good. Verse 10. Now as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise. When, how old was Caleb when God made the promise to Moses? Can you remember? 40, that's right. Now 45 years have passed since the promise. Do the math. Today, Caleb does it for us. I'm 85 years old. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So I'm asking you to give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the Anakites. Those were giants. The word means long neck. These were really tough guys. Bad neighborhood. We found the Anakites living there in great walled cities. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave Hebron to him as an inheritance. Let's go back to the line that God said about Caleb. God said, Caleb is different. There are a lot of people that were saying, no, God, we don't want to do what you said. But God said, Caleb is different. And now here's the exciting part. Because Caleb was different, he got to enjoy a very different lifestyle. Because he was faithful to God, because he wholeheartedly followed God. God, God wasn't just saying, oh, Caleb is different. Well, let's go, do this, let's go on to something else. God was saying, Caleb's different. And because he is different, because he follows me, because he does what I want him to do, God is saying, I have a different outcome for him. Now, I, I want to say that today. And I, This is something, I I don't remember saying this in the early service because God just kind of brought to my heart right now as I was speaking. There are some of you that you get branded as being different. And you know, when Joshua and Caleb came back and brought a good report, their own people wanted to stone them. Listen, you want to make people unhappy, you just have vision when they're cowards. And that's what happened. I mean, the, the people wanted to stone them. And no doubt the people thought they were different. Sometimes if you follow God, people are going to say you're different, but the the joy is in the different outcome that God gives you for being different. And God said about Caleb, he's different. Now, what was it that made Caleb different? Why did he age without getting old? There are are several things that I see. If you're you're writing notes today, taking notes on this, here's the first one. He refused the urge to get bitter. Now, let me ask you a question. Let's just talk about life for a moment. Are we inclined to get bitter when we're young or as we age? And the answer is, the older we get, the more bitterness becomes an issue. Why is that? Because bitterness is our reaction to all the injustices of life. And the longer you live, the more injustices you have. The longer you live, the more people mess up your dreams. And, you know, when you're young and somebody does something that doesn't work out for you, well, you can focus on that. But, you know, when you get to be 30 and 40 and 50 and, you know, you have your, the injustices of your husband and wife, you have the injustices of your kids, you have the injustices of the work environment, sometimes injustices that come about in social settings. After a while, you get a big old bag of bad stuff that people have done to you. Now, bitterness occurs when I keep that bag with me and I go over all those injustices and the hurts and the slights that people have performed in my life. And I let that begin to control me and to control my thinking. What I, what I think about when I looked at the life of Caleb was here was a man who had every reason to be bitter on a human level. 
When the Bible says his dad's name was Jephunneh, that's important to understand. Caleb's dad was not a Jew. Caleb's dad was of another, another race. Caleb's mother was Jewish. In fact, the name Caleb he gets comes from her tribe. Because his dad was not Jewish, they took the name of Caleb's mother. And you know, I'm sure growing up in a mixed-race family was a challenge for Caleb. No doubt he heard things that he didn't want to hear. No doubt there were those who were mean to him because he came from a family of mixed race. And people can be mean, can't they? I mean, it's just hard sometimes how, how people treat each other. And, and oftentimes when people grow up in a setting like that, when they grow up as children and, and they're, they're pushed outside because of their family, it can create bitterness, but it didn't. And, and you think about this. Here is a kid who grew up in a mixed-race family, and yet he was at peace with the life that God had given him. Next thing that I find that's kind of interesting about this is that Caleb spent the first 40 years of his life being a slave. Now, for 40 years, he was in Egypt, and he felt the Egyptians lash on his back. He was forced to do the labor that built the pyramids and built a lot of the Egyptian projects. It would have been easy for Caleb to have been bitter. I really think that a lot of the issues that Moses had with the Israelite people was the embitteredness that they had encountered, that they had allowed to develop in their lives as slaves in Egypt. But that didn't make Caleb bitter. He actually rose to the ranks of his own people so that when the Israelites sent spies into the land, here was this kid who came from a family of, of, you know, of, of diverse ethnic background, and, and he had been a slave for 40 years, and yet he had risen through the ranks that he was so respected that his tribe sent him to be a spy. That was a great thing for him to reach the age of 40 and not be bitter with life's challenges. But it was what happened next with Caleb that I think about, and I think about how difficult it would be not to be, become bitter. Caleb was one of the two guys who wanted to go over and take the land. And it wasn't like God said, okay, Joshua and Caleb, you two guys are faithful to me. You go on over into the land, you know, collect $200 and go over into Canaan. It wasn't like God said they could go right then. God said, I'm going to let you live. But they had to go into the wilderness with all the unbelievers. They had to go into the wilderness with all the chokers. For 40 years, I mean, you think about those years between 40 and 80. And those are prime years. Those are often very productive years. And Caleb had to waste, it seemed like he had to waste the most productive years of his life, going in circles, living in the desert that he didn't want to live in. And if I had been Caleb, I, I have to tell you, it would have been a temptation to become bitter with that. Because he had all these things that happened in his life he had no control over, bad choices other people made, and yet here he was at 85, and he said to Joshua, I'm still ready to go right now. I'm impressed with that. I wonder today, am I talking to somebody, man or woman, through the years, you've been hurt quite a few times, and you've become bitter. And, you say, and, and if I talked to you about it, you, would, you know what you would say to me? You would say, well, Mark, the reason I am how I am is because of this, that, and the other. And you'd tell me a sad story, and, and I would listen to you, and I would say, you know what? I, I think you, you know, on a human level, I could see how you have a right to feel the way you feel. But here's the problem with bitterness. If I become bitter, I'm going over the problems that people have caused me. But when I become bitter, I become the problem. I become a problem for everybody around me. And so I love this about Caleb. With all the stuff he'd encounter, he didn't get bitter. He didn't talk about all the things that people had done to him. He didn't talk about the, the bad choices that others made that cost him 40 years of his life. He just came to Joshua at the age of 85 and said, I'm finally, really, finally ready to realize the dream that God has for me. So just file that away. If you want to age without getting old, don't become bitter. A lot of stuff will hurt you. There'll be a lot of things that you won't have any control over. And you can't undo them. And you can't make bad people be good, and you can't make wrong people do right sometimes. But you can choose not to become bitter. Number two, 
I love the line where Caleb said to Joshua, do you remember what God said about us? I like that. You know, Caleb lived on the promises of God. That's what kept him going all those years when he was in the wilderness. He remembered what God said about him. That's how he had taken all the difficulties of life. God had made him a promise, and he knew God could keep it. In the New Testament, the Bible talks about two different ways to orient your life. You can either live your life by sight, or you can live your life by faith. Faith, living by faith, simply put, is living on the promises that God has made to you. Oftentimes, there will be no visual manifestation of those promises, but you trust God. And Caleb, even though he didn't know he was going to live to 85, God told him he was going to go into the promised land. He said to Joshua, I remember what God said about me. I, I can't see salvation. It's an invisible thing. God tells me if I will pray with my heart to receive Jesus Christ, accept him as my Lord and Savior, that God will wash my sins away and write my name in the book of life and take me to heaven to live wherever I, when I die. Can I prove that to you on paper? I can't prove it to you, but God has a promise to me, and I remember what God promised me. When, when you think about death, the Bible says that when you die physically, your body goes back to the ground, but your soul and spirit go to be with God. I can't prove that to you, but I have a promise from God, and I accept that, and I choose to live my life that way. How about you? You know, if you take a look at the way the world is today and all the stuff that's going on, if you watch cable news, and you go by sight, you can believe this thing's not going to end well. And this world system as it is is not going to end well, but God has made us some promises. And if you want to age without getting old, you just hold on to the promises of God. You remember what God has told you. You remember that if you accepted Christ, the Bible says you are saved, born again, and the part of you that is going to heaven will never die. If you want to age without getting old, you just realize that even though your body may be aging, your inner person is getting newer every day. Daddy's here today. Dad's 81 years old. He'll talk about getting old sometimes. And you know, I always say to him, Dad, what's 80 to a guy who's going to live forever? That's hanging on to the promises of God. Here's the big one. You ready? You want to age without getting old? Joshua came to, uh, Caleb came to Joshua and he said, I'm still about the same things I was about 45 years ago. As I age, and as the years come about, and by the way, you can't do a thing about aging, but you can do something about getting old. What I discover is it is a challenge in life to keep focused on the things that truly matter. Because when our bodies start to get a little tired, it's easier to start looking for a warm place to settle down. Now, Caleb had already had a warm place for 40 years. That wasn't what he wanted to do. But the thing I love about it is he said to Joshua, you know what, I can still fight, and I can still travel, and I remember what it was like to be over there and to see that beautiful land, and I haven't forgot it, and I still want it. And the thing that I love about this was, Caleb, you know, when we read about this, we just, you know, he asked for the hill country. But what we need to understand is this is where the, this is where the biggest giants live. This was the toughest place to take. And Caleb could have said, you know, he could have come to Joshua and said, you know what, I'm, I'm 85 years old now, and I'm not what I used to be, and and I'm kind of tired, and you know I really hung tough back in those days, and I kind of did my stuff back about 45 years ago, and I, I really would appreciate it, Joshua, if you would give me maybe the easiest place. But no. He said, Joshua, I remember when we were over there in the land of the Anakites. It's where the toughest guys live, but it's the best place to live. And Joshua, I can still fight, and I can still travel, and I'm not sure these young bucks can handle this, so I'd like to have that toughest assignment. 
he was still about at 85 what he was about when he was 40. That's important. Because if you stop being about the things that really matter, you'll get old. I have, a, I have a quote here. I don't know that I'll read the whole thing, but I had a quote here from Douglas MacArthur. MacArthur said, people grow old, by, grow, grow old only by deserting their ideals. Now, I won't read the rest of it, but it's a great statement. What he's saying is, when, you, when, you're not, when you're not about anymore what you used to be about, because it, you're getting older and you're just saying, well, hey, I'm going to let it go, and I've tried all these things, and they don't work, so I'm just going to look for some soft place to rest. When you get to that place, then you really get old. But if you can still care passionately about the things that matter to you in the prime of life, then you can extend the prime of life all the way to 70 and 80 and 90, even 100 if God lets you live that long. It's a challenge. We were in a meeting this week, and someone just, a good friend of mine was just sharing a comment that he overheard. And it kind of, it really, it really hit me pretty hard when I first heard about it. It made me angry, i got to tell you that. You know, here at Messiah, those of you who might be new to our fellowship, we are converting basically all our space, adult space, to kid space. Our young families are growing, and we're quadrupling our kid space. We, and it's going to not just be quadruple space. It's going to be some of the most exciting space in the world. When you see it, you'll know. I mean, you know, and one of the things that we think about here often is we hear the statistics that all the rest of you hear that, 80% of kids who grew up in church abandon the faith when they graduate from high school. And i got to tell you, those kids don't suddenly get bored with church when they turn 18. We lost them when they were 8 and 9. Just their parents made them keep going. And I have no idea why, but there's some of us who grew up in church, and I don't, I don't even know why some of us think this way, but there's this idea that, well, if you go to church, it needs to be boring, and really, it needs to be like Pepto-Bismol. Let's just cram this in the kids. And the more boring it is, the more spiritual, the deeper it's got to be. We don't treat any other endeavor of their life that way. But for some reason, I mean, it's like I went, when I was bored when I went to church, and that must be what it's all about. So you're going to go to church, and you're going to sit there, and you're going to put your hands in your lap and be quiet and no talking and sit through the lesson. And this is no fault necessarily of the people who work with me when I was a kid, but I can tell you most of the time I was bored out of my brains when I was in church. And the thing of it is, what you have to understand is God's not boring. Jesus is not boring. A little kid that carried his sack lunch, that was his day off, and he carried those five loaves and two fish. He sat there to listen to Jesus all day. Listen, let me tell you something. I got three boys. I have three sons. And I guarantee you, kids don't do that unless something pretty exciting is going on. So Jesus isn't boring. It's just, the, it's just church people that can make Jesus boring a lot of times. But there's the idea, you know, I was boring, you know. I was bored when I was in church, so my kids need to be bored, and that's the deep stuff, and, and so we're just going to get them. We don't believe that. We believe this. We believe that Jesus Christ is the most exciting person in the universe. We believe that God's worth and truth, truth of God's word is the most exciting truth that anybody can entertain. And beyond that, we want to create environments so that when kids are challenged, tempted to move away from the faith, they'll look back and say, the greatest days of my life were when I was in church. That's what we're targeting. And that's why, you know, it isn't, like I say, we're not just creating more space. We're creating ex- great space, special space. And we've made some sacrifices along the way. One of those sacrifices is my office. My beautiful office that I dreamed of for all these years is now part of the three-year-old complex. But we were just sitting around talking this week, some friends, and in a meeting, and a friend of mine 
gave a comment that he overheard. I have no idea who made the comment. But here's what this guy said. If they're going to do all this for the kids, then let the kids pay for it. Now I have to tell you, when I first heard that, it flew all over me. I don't know who made that comment, and it's a good thing I don't know. Because there's so many reasons why it's a bad comment. First of all, there's the idea you can buy influence in a church. If you think you can buy influence in this church, I said in the first service, you're probably in the wrong church, and I corrected myself, and I said, you're definitely in the wrong church. This is the Lord's house. You can't buy influence here. The second reason why it's so bad is that somebody has lost his vision. Somebody has said, because I'm older and I have money, then we're going to buy something for me. And the kids don't have money, so we're not going to worry about kid space. And that just broke my heart when I heard that. And thankfully, I know, I mean, I've watched how you're giving, and I've watched how you're stepping forward to participate. And right now, we have the opportunity to spend $150,000 and get probably a million and a half dollars worth of benefit because so much work we're doing ourselves, and God is at work. And, and so many of you have given and given, you know, money and stock to see this happen. But it just broke my heart when I heard that we have just one person here who could say, if they're doing this for the kids then let the kids pay for it. If you want to age without getting old, you've got to be about the same things that you were about. You've got to care. You've got to reach. You've got to keep, keep stretching out for great things. You have to be focused on God doing awesome things because at the moment you forget where you're going, then you'll stop and you'll die even if your body lives years beyond that. When I thought about that comment, not knowing who made that comment. I couldn't help but think about how many of our congregation are just the opposite. They're 60, 70, 80, some in their 80s, that we depend on so much here at Messiah because they have not lost the vision. They're still passionate. They're still volunteering. They're still working in Judgment House. And some, even after their bodies are not able to do the things they used to do, they're still praying. They're still encouraging those who are doing great things. It is often said that it's a wonderful thing to see young people serve the Lord. I want to say yes to that. But I want to say it's also a wonderful thing to see people who are up in years who are still passionate about the things that they used to be passionate about. All of us have a cultural example of that. I've told this story before, and I know some of you will have heard me tell this in previous times, but could I tell it one more time because it fits so well? You all know Billy Graham is in his late, 90, late 80s, and he has a hard time getting around. He can't preach like he wants to. He has to walk with a walker sometimes, and we all see his frailty. But, you know, anytime you see Billy Graham preach, you still see the fire in those eyes, don't you? You still see the passion for souls. Several years ago, three or four years ago, the city fathers of Charlotte, and fathers and mothers, I guess, for that matter, they wanted to honor Billy Graham, their native son. 
And they called Dr. Graham and they said, we'd like for you to come to a lunch and we want to give you an award and we want to honor you. And Dr. Graham said, you know, I, I can't attend a lot of the things I'd like to attend and my body just won't allow me and, and I, I'm afraid I couldn't speak or anything. And they said, Dr. Graham, you don't need to come and speak or anything. Just come and attend. Let us love on you for a little while and give you an award and you don't have to preach a sermon. Just come. And so Billy and Ruth Graham came to attend that meeting. And they did. They honored him, and they spoke well of him as well they should, and they gave him the award and offered him an opportunity if he wanted to make a few comments. Dr. Graham stood up, and he began to tell a story. And the story was about Albert Einstein years before when he had visited the United States, and he was traveling on a train. Einstein couldn't find his ticket. He reached in his vest pocket, and he couldn't find it in his pants pockets and looked in his satchel. He couldn't find his ticket. So he got down on his knees, and he was rummaging around under the seat trying to find the ticket in the uh, Conductor came by. And he said to the conductor, I don't have my ticket. The conductor said, Dr. Einstein, that, that's not a problem. We, we know you had a ticket. Don't worry about it. And he went on and started taking tickets from other passengers. About 10 minutes later, he came back, and there was Einstein still feeling around on the floor under his seat trying to find his ticket, as Graham told the story. And the conductor said, Dr. Einstein, I told you, you don't need to worry about a ticket. We know who you are. With that, Einstein looked up from the floor. You can sort of see him with that white hair. He looked up and said, son, I know who I am too. I just don't remember where I'm going. (laughs) Billy said, you see this nice new suit I'm wearing today? He said, my kids and grandkids say I've gotten a little slovenly in my old age. And he said, I bought this new suit for two reasons. He said, the first reason I bought the suit is for this gathering today. And he said, the second reason is, he said, I plan to be buried in this suit. He said, someday you're going to read in the newspaper that Billy Graham has died. But he said, don't you believe it. He said, I just want you to know this. I know who I am. And I know where I'm going. And I think that's the secret to aging without getting old. It's knowing who you are and knowing where you're going. You know, I'm, I'm, as I said, I'll be 50 this week. And, I, you know, I can't say 50 is middle-aged. 35 is middle-aged. I can do the math. But what makes me feel good is I know who I am and I know where I'm going. I'm living in a disposable body. The real person I am, I'm going to live forever. I just want to swing for the fences as long as I'm here. That's how to age without getting old. And if you're like me and you're up in your 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s, I want you to know something. We desperately need you. There is work to do. Let's do the work together. Let's age without getting old. Let's be about the things that matter. Let's have the vision for the kids' ministry. Let's have the vision for the student ministry. Let's have the vision for Judgment House. And you know, we might just get to link up with the next generation. That's what I'm going to talk about next week in the last key. Let's pray.